of the things that happened in the last month that uh, you feel like like discussing? I've, in the past couple of weeks, so I joined a new company, right? I guess you have noticed that I joined Jürgen Ulbrich's company Spread. Yeah, I saw that. How yeah, is it going? So, can, can you give a bit of insight what Spread is doing? Of course. So Spread is an employer referral program. So basically what you can do as an SME, so that's a small to medium enterprise, you can allow your employees to refer other candidates, people that you know, people that where you guess that they would be a great fit for an open role in your company. You can refer them and HR, your recruiting department can see that and approach the person that you have referred. And what's now different with spread is that a lot of companies automate this process or they try to make it digital, but that's about as far as they go. So you have to know usually, and it's just, it was the same with Google, right? So there's an open role and you maybe know someone. If you refer this person and this person actually makes it through the interviews and gets hired, you as the person who has referred to this candidate gets maybe a money price, right? Like a thousand euros, 5,000 euros, depending on the company, depending on the role. Mm -hmm. But this is not something that a lot of people actually use. And even if they use it for a very good friend of them, they maybe use it once or twice. And that's about it. It's not something that an employee is doing from his or her own motivation. It's not something that is like deeply, it's not something that is a regular process that you do maybe on a monthly basis that you look through open positions in your company and you proactively think about who could you know that would be a great fit for this company. It's, it's rather from the other direction, right? Like a friend of yours mm -hmm. is approaching you. Yeah. Hey, I would really like to work in the same company. Can you refer me so that I have an easier entrance point? And what we try to do now is to switch this on its top so that employees do this more out of a habit. And we accomplish that with, with gamification, with a mm -hmm. very deep going reward system and by making every step that you do rewardable. So when you share a link to an open position, if someone actually clicks on this link, if someone gets invited to an interview, if he makes a first round, if this person makes a second round, mm -hmm. every step gets rewarded with points and you can use these points to redeem them for whatever your company is offering as a reward. This can be like a day, uh, an additional day holiday like for vacation. It can be money. It can be a hoodie of your company. It can be whatever the company sets up for it. And what this allows is that you, maybe you don't know a lot of perfect candidates, but you have a huge network. So for example, you could share this link 
And simply by sharing it and by other people clicking on it and maybe even applying for the position, you get something out of it. And that's completely new. That's not something that others have done yet. So basically you are structuring and designing or you're allowing companies to design their incentive system for network hires. This is the first step of it, yes. The next steps are not only that they can kind of freely design this process, but additionally, they, they switch recruiting onto their employees. And by doing that, they use their whole network of their colleagues. So we collect completely voluntarily. So this is like something that an employee can choose to do or choose against. Mm -hmm. But if this person chooses to do it, they can kind of allow access to their Xing, LinkedIn or GitHub profile. And what our algorithm is doing, it compares your whole network with all open positions and makes a matching out of it and then tells you about it. So we see your company is looking for a sales rep. Yeah. We have found seven candidates in your LinkedIn network where we guess they would be a great fit for the company based on how far they are in their career, based on how long they have been in the last role. So we can evaluate if this person could be open for a role change based on location. So is this person close to the, the site of your company where you're working? Based on multiple factors, we get down to kind of a percentage point, what we think, how strong is a person a fit for a specific role in your company? And we let you as the user decide, is this a good match? Yes or no? And if yes, then we help the employee to make it as easy and as straightforward to get this person into your company and to reward you for every step that you have taken. Really interesting approach, like thinking a lot of steps ahead of how to really get the most out of each employee's network. Exactly. Hmm. And you have to think about this, Jürgen. So if I now ask you, do you know something like, do you know someone who would be an excellent engineer for XYZ? Maybe you have an answer, but maybe not. But you don't really know, right? Until you get a list of every person you have ever had contact with. And in your example, especially in your example, you are a person who have come around quite a bit. So you have circles, first of all, all around the world. And second of all, from different stages of your life. So maybe some of your LinkedIn contacts go back multiple years and you don't even know about them anymore. So you don't proactively think about them, but your LinkedIn knows that you know yeah. the person. 
an algorithm is way more efficient in making a guess if someone in your network on level two or three, not on your conscious level, but on your like outside level of your network, if there is someone who might be a match, like actually a very good match for an open role in your, in your company. And this is important because companies nowadays, they struggle more and more with finding good talent. So there's a war on talent out there. And maybe companies like Amazon and Google and McKinsey, they don't really have that much of a struggle on finding talent. But think about all the thousands of companies in every country who are very small or medium-sized, somewhere on the countryside, and no one knows about them. Like they, really, they truly struggle. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's getting harder to recruit top talent for smaller or not as well-known companies than it was five, ten years ago? Because people started to travel way more for a job. They are much more flexible. They have dozens of job platforms where they can see what's available and compare. It's not that you are that much dependent on your, on the companies right in front of your, um, house door, so to say. It's like you can basically scan the whole internet for jobs in every city and compare those jobs in terms of perks and culture and reviews. And then you just apply. And if you get a job, you go there. So if, if you now imagine a, com a company that is somewhere on the countryside, what can they really do? Like they can't, com they can't compete with the largest companies in terms of ad spending. They probably can't compete in terms of corporate culture. They probably can't really compete with the top 10% of talent inside the company. So they have to go on a different approach. And one of the approaches that they do, especially in the blue collar industries is to rely on friends and colleagues. So people know people and they can actually convince their friends and, and, and people they know to join a company if the offer is right. But they don't do it that much if they don't have a very easy process and if they don't get something out of it. And that's two things among others that we are tackling. Why do you think it is especially predominant in blue collar jobs? So what are the factors? Because they tend to use job platforms less often because these platforms are very much designed for knowledge workers, yeah. for white collar workers. And often they don't really have the need to do so either. So if you are a really good hand craftsman who, I don't know, is an expert in repairing something. Mm -hmm. First of all, you basically find a job in every city or in every country. Um, you have often more requests than you have time to 
to do them. And you really don't like, this is not something that we are like touching about them, but we, we see it in our data. They just don't, they, they simply visit all these platforms less often because they don't need to, they're not designed for them. So it's, it's not something that we can explain. It's more like a, it's just something that we observe and we try to, yeah, to do the right steps to approach them. And they don't, for example, they don't install an additional app on their phone just to search for jobs. But what they do is they ask in their, in their WhatsApp groups, like they all of their friends in their large extended family where they could find some work. That's how they do it. Mm. So what we do with okay. spread is we allow those people that choose to be outside of traditional job platforms to interact with other people via the channels they are used to use. And those channels often happen to be SMS and WhatsApp. Gotcha. Hmm. It's something that, that surprised me as well when I joined the company, but it makes a lot of sense. And the data shows that it works. Yeah. No, it, uh, like it does if the, if the approach is just a different one to go from job to job, if it's just a different working culture, it also makes sense to, to really tackle that heads on. Um, okay. So how, like, I know Jürgen has been working on, on spread for quite a while now, like in what stage are you in? What is, what is it like? What would have the first couple <laughs> of weeks been like to work there? The first couple of weeks have been a wild ride because when I joined the company end of November, it was a bunch of guys sitting at home building a product and there were no processes. There was very little structure. There was a lack of everything basically. Um, so the first few weeks were simply getting to know everyone, getting to know the product, getting to know the documentary that was done so far, the documentation that was done so far, um, getting a grasp of the vision of the bigger vision of where Jürgen wants to go. And I guess talking about him is a little bit, um, uh, not annoying, but maybe it's, it's complex to differentiate now Jürgen, like the founder of the company where I work and you, Jürgen, you just <laughs> share the same first name, right? Maybe we're going to um, stick with Jürgen Ulbricht. Perfect. Easy. We will do that. So, um, <laughs> when I joined, when I joined spread, um, so first of all, I'm, I'm his associate basically. So I'm the operations lead and he gives me every project that I can do, that I want to do, that makes the company more efficient and to keeps, that keeps on, us on track. So mm -hmm. I build the analytics, I build many of the processes. I mm -hmm. try to get a structure into our HR department, into our values and how we do things and how we want to do things to keep everyone happy, to 
to get all the input from all the people, be it personal, be it professional, be it about critique, about feedback, about praises, and and aggregate all these voices and, and take them to Jürgen Ulbrich. Um, so that's my role in the company. And so it's a lot of talking, a lot of listening, a lot of thinking. And it has been hard in the first, I would say, 12 weeks because we have been working from home. And working from home is not the same as sitting in an office. And for some jobs, and you are a data engineer yourself, some job roles, you can do them from home easily, right? Like if you have a backlog of things to do, if you are a software developer, for example, you can work from home quite easily. But if you have to interact with people on on a daily basis and you have to come up with stuff, then sitting home alone is quite hard. So I was very much relieved when we got into our office now in January. So we had our office opening. I think it's now two or three weeks back. And we are I saw a slowly picture of you on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were putting yes. together all the tables and chairs. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So that was that was a very fun week of um, IKEA parties and ah, nice. and 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 building all the tables and chairs and um, you know like uh, getting the coffee machine, using the coffee machine quite often, and I'm just getting the sense of being aspect. a team. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm curious about how you feel, like when you compare this right now, I mean, obviously there are many differential factors, but if you compare this right now to any other job or position you've held in the past, how different does it feel when you actually physically design the place or get to design the place you're going to work in? Think it has a big influence on how you feel within the company definitely definitely and it's maybe different than from what you would expect so when there's an office and it doesn't really matter if it's a beautiful office or if it's a super colorful office like uh, with google's offices around the world you are always kind of a guest, right? You get there, everything yeah. is settled, everything is designed. People use spaces how they got used to use them. Yeah. And you kind of have to find your spot in all of this. That can be wonderful for some people. It's a little bit strange for others, be it as it may. You have very little influence in changing the place, right? So, and especially when it comes to culture. So I remember getting from, from our time at Icons directly to my internship with Google. And I tried to take a lot of the culture I was used to and live that very same culture in my first weeks at Google and Man, I ran straight face into a wall with that approach. 
because the people were not welcoming to what I was used to being the most welcoming working culture ever. And I had to relearn. I had to, I had to adapt to what was the norm, to what was normal at Google, right? And it's the same in every office. You have to, you have to take your personality a little bit back and to find mm -hmm. the base level and the base energy. You have to vibe with the base energy of the people around you, especially if they, is, if they are already a team and they have their, you know, like their little kinks and how they, yeah. how they do stuff, how they greet them, uh, each other in the morning and when they do yeah. leave office and what's allowed and what's not. So basically you're saying you have to take yourself back a little in exactly. order so you can fit into the pre-existing conditions. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. And maybe you just have to take yourself a little bit back if it's yeah. a very open culture. Mm -hmm. And maybe you have to take yourself back tremendously if it's a very strict culture, for example, in professional management consulting companies where you have mm -hmm. kind of a dress code, you have to be extremely professional at all times and you work on different projects with different people all the, t all the time. Mm -hmm. And now I'm for the first time in, in a space that was empty and I mean it literally empty. <laughs> we got an office and every room was cold and empty and with empty walls and no um, there was nothing. We had to buy everything. And for all of us, it was the first time being in a room together. So what's <laughs> different now to being in that kind of environment? You get to set the rules. So if something, if you really want to have something in your working culture, you just propose it now. Now, while we are forming all these rituals and and, um, and 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 weekly occurrences so for example to give you an example on our first day where we started to work on the desks i said to the people around me hey guys what do you think of not wearing shoes in the office because i hate to wear sneakers all day long i just asked them hey what do you think of having a no shoe policy in our office because first of all we have to clean this place if it gets dirty. And second of all, it's not healthy to wear these super close uh, leather sneakers all day long. Yeah. It's just not a good thing. And if we get to design this place, why not do it differently than we are used to? This is just one example, but another example what, is... How did they react? Yeah. What did they stunned, say? stunned in the very first five seconds. Then they considered it. And since no one had any counter argument, we went through with it. And now we have like a uh, house barchen, you know, like house shoes. <laughs> uh, or we just walk around in our socks. Um, nice. Everyone is free to choose how they feel comfortable. But nice. the point here is that we are such a small team and it's so new. Everything is so new that if something is bothering us, we just have to say it and we can change it on the spot. 
And this is a completely new feeling of being free, of freedom. I think freedom is the right word for it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, to take something just because it was already there. That's really cool. Like, especially yeah. a peculiarity like that, like you, it's really hard if everything is already set in stone to introduce, but it gives everyone the opportunity just to, to contribute, to be part of it. If everyone's kind of like open to, for new suggestions, especially right now at the beginning where everything is forming. Yeah. And I mean, you have to, you have to approach the people and to, to help them raise their voice because not everyone is comfortable with just saying what he or she thinks. Mm -hmm. This is a skill that has to be learned, but my role also includes, you know, like getting to one-to-ones with the people and to ask them how they are feeling and what they are thinking of their mm -hmm. environment so that also those colleagues of us that are not comfortable with, even if it's not a true confrontation, it can feel confrontational, not confrontational to speak your desires, mm. especially to colleagues that you don't know that long yeah. already. Uh, but can, yeah, can that, we that's try something. something? Mm -hmm. Like uh, in, in the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, thinking a lot about values and principles. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, what? Okay, first of all, did you ever talk within a company about the principles you have, the values you have, like very explicit? Is there like a list? Is there anything? Yes. That. Yes. Yeah. What are they? We we came we came up with our very own first principles that we want to base our decision making on. Interesting. When did you come up with that? Right before we opened the office, because before okay. the office it was more like everyone is working on his or her own. And there was not really that much of a need to come up with values or principles that guide our teamwork. Mm -hmm. But now that we be, now that we are in the same office space for many hours every day, we, we thought it would be very helpful to have some kind of guidance, like a North star, what we should yeah. focus on, how we should make decisions how we want to treat each other. So we came up with, with a list and this list is like a best of, of everything that we ever came across from Amazon, from Google, from startup books, from blogs, from podcasts, from YouTube videos. <laughs> so we collected everything, everything we ever read, we ever consumed. And we made our very own list of, of things that we truly feel that resonated with us and where we thought we want to give this a try. It's not set in stone because it's too early for that, but we came up with a list where we felt where we had a good feeling and we tried them now for a couple of weeks. And then we, we will talk about them and see which ones we ditch and which one we will adapt and 
which ones will you keep? Mm. Just so I can, I'm having an easier time to put it into relations. How long have how many people been involved into this, like into the, the company? Have most of them joined recently or what? what's the timeline in history? So uh, there are two founders. There's one founder who is in charge of all the growth stuff and the, the, the product design and the features. And there is the technical founder who actually builds most of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Then there was someone who was doing all the sales, marketing, customer success stuff. Mm -hmm. And someone who was only working 10 hours a week in supporting this person. And another senior developer who was helping the technical founder. That was the core team up to this point. And now since I joined, we are so got a data engineer, like a data scientist, a junior data scientist, a head of sales and myself. So, so we are eight uh, people now, people? Eight, people? Okay. eight people. And I guess there were two others who had come up with the initial idea and, and write the reports for um, for the first funding rounds, but they are not part of the company anymore. Gotcha. Are you currently, until now, it's been completely bootstrapped, right? So you haven't raised any pre-seed? Angels, like there are a small number no. of okay. angel investors and there is a large, maybe you know the term in English, Förderung. Ah, yeah, like a... Um, like a grant, like a government grant yes, or research grant. Yes, exactly. It's it's based on technology and innovation. And mm, we have some gotcha. goals that we have to reach in a specific time frame. But if we do that, we get we get this grant in, in parts. And yes. that combined with the revenue that we are already making, we we stay afloat. And our new head of sales is very motivated. is a very inspirational guy. <laughs> he has lots of context and he, he brought amazing progress and lots of structure and processes into the company. And we plan on growing quite a bit despite the current economic environment. Yeah. And that's really cool. So really like super, super early, but you already have a working product. You already have a revenue stream. So there's, it's, it's beyond the idea validation phase, but like organizational wise, you're still small, lean, very at the beginning. Very at the beginning of it all, <laughs> very lean. I'm not sure if we are past the idea phase. Okay, not, I will reframe. We, we, we stick on the idea because we mm -hmm. know it works, but yeah. we do not consider being at the end of the, of the product market fits. Okay. So yeah. we are still very heavy on analytics, on understanding our customers and understanding the needs, the pains, and, yeah. and trying to make the, the product better day by day. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So you are. 
so currently at that point, and you have already defined like your principles that guide your decision making. Are you do you feel comfortable sharing them? Sure, no, no problem. So some of the stuff that we came up with quite easily was, for example, that we want to have a very open communication. And the principle that, like the, the title of this principle is over communicate. So the idea behind this principle is over communicate. So the idea is if there is something bothering you, if there's something on your mind, you should always feel comfortable with, with telling someone. And it doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you tell one person or if you share it to the whole team in a sure fix, for example. But please, please, please tell someone so that, first of all, you get it off your shoulders and you and someone can do something about it. But at the same time, we wanted to convey to all of our team members that there are no forbidden topics. There is not, there's not anything that should not be addressed. And this goes beyond hierarchies. So it doesn't matter if it's a critique on the founder, for example, or if it's simply being uncomfortable with, I don't know, the waste lying around. We just want that everyone feels comfortable with making this journey together as comforting as possible. And we want no checkouts or, or um, walkouts, if, if you know that these terms. So usually if, if someone is unhappy, if someone feels unheard, if someone feels not appreciated enough or not challenged enough, a lot of people tend to check out early. And what that means is that they, they don't give 100% anymore. They, they leave the office early. They come late. They, yeah. they drop on the quality they deliver. And that's yeah. the first step. And if this continues, then they will walk out. They will quit working for this company. And you can avoid that in many cases if you, if you listen to their problems, to their concerns, and actually do something about it. It's not just listening. It's not just, you know, like, tell us, and then we don't give a fuck anymore. But yeah. it's to, to listen and to respect that and to actually do something about it. And if you do that, and if you live it, um, we think, and we are convinced that, that it will be healthier for everyone. If I get the shot pain in a moment, yeah. No, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm actually just coming out of a conversation talking uh, with people about the value of communicating candidly. So basically being very direct mm -hmm. and frank and not holding back your thoughts because you are afraid or just don't want to deal with the complications that come from disagreeing with someone or pointing something out that is that you perceive as harmful to you or someone else. And like personally, like I believe communication is miscommunication, bad communication is the reason for over 90% of the problems humans have with other humans. So that involves also most of the problems you have in your work environment as well, especially like internal within the team. 
and with being super candid about it, although it is, it requires a lot of energy, it requires a lot of commitment, you can eliminate a lot of those down or a lot of those issues you have. Because uh, mm-hmm. especially like if you, if you are not just candid, but you are also like open to receive, if it's really like a two-sided way, a two-sided street, then you also go beyond the hierarchical, like you're open to receive and respect candid comments, feedbacks from everyone within the group, within the organization. And I think that uh, that is really something a lot of companies, a lot of groups in general would uh, would profit from a lot. So I really like that. Over-communicate. Over-communicate. Really overload yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I, I can see downfalls to that as well, right? Like, uh, or downsides. Uh, it, it easily could make communication a little bit inefficient. Like, you know, those conversations where someone reiterates a point just because they feel like it hasn't been heard enough. Or sometimes that gets mixed up with uh, they just want to wanna have some talking time. So if you have an established rule of no comment is too much, over-communicate. And then I can see how this, for example, could, could uh, lead into some frustration as well. Do you agree? Even the term invites this thought of over-communication mm-hmm. being, you know, just talk a lot. That's not really what it means in self-spread. So over-communicate means simply that there is nothing that should not be addressed, but it should not be addressed, you know, like exhaustively or a hundred times. Because if the person feels the need to address the same point over and over and over again, then the leadership has already failed because nothing has been done about it, right? So gotcha. if, yeah. if, you, if you tell me something is bothering you and you have to tell me a second time, mm-hmm. then I already have failed as a leader the first time, right? Nah, like okay. If, okay. At, at least if it's something that is worthy of addressing. If I tell you why at the spot, I, I see your point, but we don't have the resources or the time, or it's it's only something that you can change about your environment, right? Then mm-hmm. um, then it's something that we will address in the future. Um, or it's something that you can actually do yourself or we help you change it. Yeah. Um, be it as it may, it should not be something that should be addressed again too soon. Yeah. Nice. What are, yeah. what are the other principles? For example, something that we like very much is focus on the big fish. So if you, I don't know, go you, do you go like fishing? Have you ever been fishing? Actually, the first time I really went on a fishing trip was last summer. I went to visit a friend in the, the north of France. And uh, we went out fishing into the ocean, like, I, I don't know how you call it, like deep fish, like when you're not standing on at the... Yeah, yeah. Inside. 
shallow water, but really go super down, far down. And uh, then we actually went spearfishing as well, which was a nice. whole different experience. <laughs> so, and, and this is exactly something that, that you can uh, take into the startup world, maybe even to other um, like scenarios, but in the startup world, what we need to do, like it's required of us to survive is to use our resources as wisely as we can, because we are only a handful of people and the day is only so long. We really need to make progress and we need to make it fast because there is no guarantee of success. And if we don't make it fast enough, we will run out of money inevitably. So this, what this principle tells us is that if you have to choose between two topics, what to spend your time on, choose the bigger fish, choose the thing that has a greater impact on making users more happy, on making processes faster or more efficient, on helping the company succeed faster and earlier. And especially for guys like us, Jürgen, like there are so many things that bring us joy, you know, like, like making something perfect, um, <laughs> making the slide extra pretty, making the code extra clean, having an Excel sheet that's perfectly formatted, but that's not a big fish. That's a small fish and small yep. fishing can make a lot of fun, but it does not make your 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 family at home uh what's what's the right term where it's um like you have to in in deutschen wäre es deine familie wird nicht satt davon so you need to bring a big uh, fish home so that everyone has enough to eat right yeah. you can't just get home after a long day with with three small fishes if you have five kids at home you need a <laughs> yeah. big 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 biggest fish to <laughs> <laughs> to make everyone satisfied. So um, that, that's one of our principles. Um, if you catch yourself working on something that has not enough value in of itself for the company, for your colleagues, for our success, then do it maybe at another time. Or if you really feel about it, make the other stuff first and take care of it at the end of your day. Nice. Okay. What are the and the third one that I want to share with you because I feel it this will resonate with you especially is create a smile. So have you read by any chance? Give me a second. What's the name of the book? Anything you want from Derek Sibber. No. Read it. Read it often, you will love it. One thing that I've, t like this guy was a guy who, who found a problem and he created a solution for it, but he never was interested in success or in making a lot of money out of it. He just wanted to solve the problem. But he found himself with a huge company at some point. And he always kept true to the most important KPI for him was 
is my customer happy with my service? And this, you can accomplish that in different ways, right? But one way is to create a smile on the customer face. If he feels being greeted nicely, if he is happy with what he received in comparison to what he gave, then it's a net positive for your customer and he will come back. And creating a smile as our first principle within spread basically means if you see the chance to make someone happy or make his or her day a little bit better, then use it. And this can be as easily as asking your colleague when you go get a coffee, do you also want a coffee? Can I bring you like an, an espresso um, to taking the extra five seconds of, of greeting everyone in the morning or saying goodbye when you leave the office or, you know, like leaving the kitchen clean or bringing something, some snacks into the office for everyone to share up to being nice to the stranger on the street before you even enter the office building. So the principle is basically um, just, just make life worth living by creating a smile. So even if your day is shit, even if you do not find a bug, if you do not um, close the deal, if you do not come, make any progress with your code, when you at least had a smile and you had a happy day with your colleagues and it was something <laughs> worth making your day, then it was like an accomplishment. Um, besides all the other struggles of your life, right? So that's that's our that's our tenth. Um, like the list has ten principles, and it's our last one, which is not directly for decision making, but it's a nice reminder to be just a nice person. Nice. Yeah, I really like that one. Uh, it's, I feel this is very easily overlooked when you have a discussion about company principles, when you talk about efficiency and communication and excellence and what you want to focus on. Like those are the little things that have an effect on all the other ones. Yeah, it, people are not machines. The, on the back of your head. Yeah, yeah. No. We don't run on efficiency alone. We don't run on on, on yeah. salaries alone. Yeah, um, we need we need a lot more. We need appreciation. We need gratitude. We need fun and camaraderie and feeling a, a, a sense of belonging and being in the right space at the right time and. This can be accomplished by something as easy as, you know, asking a guy or like a colleague to share lunch with you. Or if you get yourself like a sweet in the morning, just buy yeah. two and make it a present for someone else. You know, like it's like one euro, two euros on your side, but <laughs> yeah. can, can make the whole day of the other person. Yeah, that's actually um, a really funny thing. So uh, I had to think about a couple of times since the a couple of weeks ago. I so I'm, I'm living on on campus at Stanford, and uh, so there are a lot of people around, and uh, I'm in a bunch of 
weirdly enough, I'm in several WhatsApp groups about like game nights, like board game nights, but I've never managed to actually attend one. <laughs> Just mm. all the people I know. Shame on like you, time with. Shame on me. Yes. So like a couple of weeks ago, someone posted into one of those groups if someone wants to, like he's making hot chocolate. If someone wants to share some hot chocolate, like just sit outside and drink hot chocolate. And I was like, amazing. I don't know. Eight out of those 10 people who responded, I was just like, all right, I'm just gonna make an effort to just go there and uh, just enjoy, just enjoy the night, just meet some people who seem to be really cool. And so I went there, it was, it was super fun. Actually, when I arrived, no one was there. And I was just like, hey, is that, the hot chocolate meetup. A <laughs> 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 uh, few, few uh, glass of uh, confusion, but um, it, it it was it was really fun, and uh, we were just sitting outside next to a fire pit that wasn't working, so it was actually quite cold. <laughs> uh, and then, like half an hour in or an hour in, another guy from the from the group stopped by, whom I only vaguely knew, and he had this box of donuts like a full box i wouldn't say like eight nine ten donuts and he was just like yeah occasionally just when i when i pass by a bakery or when i'm in the area i just get a couple of donuts because maybe i need them during the day or maybe like my roommate likes donuts so i just put them into the apartment if someone visits they can have donuts which is like like i mean that's not it's not the same as buying candy or buying a pack of cookies that you can store for weeks for the, the occasion to come. Like you spent here probably like what, 20, 30 bucks on 10 donuts and they have to be eaten within the next one or two days. So you only do that when you're really expecting that you're going to make someone else happy because no one's going to eat that all themselves. And it was so, it was so cool because we was just like, yeah, yeah, but we just, I don't know, it like, two, three donuts, uh, the group of us, and then Jip took the rest home. But with such like the, the mentality of him was just like, yeah, like I do that sometimes. It's, it's fun. And it's just like, hmm. So there is someone like, what tells, does that tell me about the person? And one thing definitely is that he enjoys and he appreciates when he can make other people happy. Like when he can put a smile on other people's faces when uh, when he can offer them something they might need in that moment, they would enjoy in that moment. And that really had me think of that uh, because like seeing him doing that was in a way so surprising and confusing to me because I never thought of it in this random or unfocused way, I guess like unintentional way because like he doesn't know who he's going to run into or where's the opportunity to uh, improve someone's day by offering sweets. It's just like this general, well, if I don't have, like if I don't do it, if I don't even have the opportunity to, like it's probably not going to happen. But if I'm already set up to make someone stay better, like once the opportunity arises, I will be ready. I found that really cool, and I'd really, that really, uh, your your principle, greatest smile, really made me think of that. 
because that definitely created a smile on my face. <laughs> I, I know someone like this person as well. It, he was an yeah. ex-colleague of mine in my first startup and he had, and he, 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 he still does it. He, when he has a whole day off, he makes his favorite green cake, Sahneschnitte in, in mm. Austria, and he makes like two or three of them. And then he spends the whole day hopping on, into his car and driving to every friend in town and bringing the person a piece of his green cake and just enjoys watching them taking this super large creamy cake and trying <laughs> to fit it into their mouth because um for all your listeners you have to imagine it's like super creamy so if you bite into this um it's it, like it runs through your fingers and your whole like you have like a chris like a santa beard of cream afterwards when you when you eat that and it just enjoys people eating his cake so much that he spends a whole day just driving around and bringing people without notice some cake. It's amazing. <laughs> that is really cool. Like uh, that, that even takes it to the next level. How often does he do that? I think as often as he can do it, but he does not live in Austria anymore. He doesn't live in Austria anymore. So uh, it kind of stopped. But back in the days when he lived here, he did it every other weekend. Oh, this is so amazing. <laughs> oh, they're just, oh, people are like, awesome. Like, can you, can you imagine you sit at home on, your, on, a, on a Saturday and you enjoy, I don't know, Netflix or you work on something and suddenly someone rings on your door and you open it and it's a friend <laughs> of yours with a cake in his hands and a video camera onto you and like, here's your cake. And he just is there and enjoys watching you eating his cake and making your day. And then he hops yeah. back into his car and drives to the next address. Oh, I can, I can, I can, uh, picture that very, very in, in a lot of detail because, uh, I, not the same experience, but a similar experience that still stayed with me to this day. Like a friend of mine, she, I think she was at the birthday party of a friend of hers and her and her sister, like her sister makes like this really, really crazy themed cakes. Like, you know, where she really builds like some structure into it with marzipan, like sugar coating, like really, I think in that night, like really cake that, that is an object, like a football or like a, a car race or like some character from a Disney movie and uh, those kind of cakes. <laughs> and uh, she, she was at that party and she sent me a picture of the cake and I was like, wow. That is such a cool cake. <laughs> I would like to have a piece of that. And later that night, she stopped by. Amazing. And brought me that cake. And I was literally about to leave to, I think, like going out with friends. And she stopped by. And she was like, 
yeah, I can, I can bring you there. And she just gave me this plate with a piece of cake. <laughs> and I had this cake when I came into the, to the, to those friends of mine, I think it was for a pregame. And there's this picture of me when I open the door and I'm kind of standing in the doorway, leaning in and having this plate with the cake in my hand. <laughs> and they just didn't stop laughing when they saw me. Because they were like, what the hell is going on? Why does he have a piece of cake? I was just so happy. <laughs> like that definitely made my day. Uh, and, and actually, uh, actually, yeah. this is Thanks. a great, great, great indicator of this person's like character. Yeah. Like how does a person spend their time and is this person like going out of their way and altering like the schedule of the day just, you know, like to, to make you smile for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Because they, That's this person lot. cannot really expect you to come back one day with a cake on your own. <laughs> no. And I, I guess it was not the intention of it. It was just like the person made a cake and person knew you wanted a piece so she she was it was it like a like a like a man or a woman no it was a woman yeah. so she she took the extra effort just to get to you so that you can also have a piece yeah. and it's really nice yeah that was really amazing huh. you got a good friend who brings you cream cake <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really that's really really cool Huh. But yeah, like um, I, I came across a list of of um, ways of how to evaluate character of a, of a person. It was a great blog. Um, it was, I think, it was eight techniques, and some of them I kind of knew or I kind of already used, but some of them were new to me. And one of these techniques is how you treat others and especially how you treat people where you can never expect something in return. Mm. So the, I think the blog entry wrote about how a person is treating service workers, because usually when you come, when you come across a service worker, you know, like someone who is repairing something, in, in the building or who is, you know, like just working on a counter and, and, and I don't know, makes your coffee, right? You, you will probably never see this person again. You don't even know the yeah. person, but when you go out with someone for, on a date or you have a business meeting or something, try observing how, how this person is treating and interacting with, with strangers. It tells you a lot about how they were raised and what they value in 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 day in day to day interactions. Is this is this person like you know like kind of rude or is it like you know like like ignoring all the other person like all the other people, or is this someone who takes the extra five words that don't cost anything to make this stranger to make the day a little bit better one percent better but just you know like saying something nice or to be at least you know like not a dick 
you know, like not yeah. arrogant or annoying or, you know, like being very small, like focused on super small details that don't really, yeah, have any importance on your day. You know, like when you go out and you grab a coffee and, you know, like, um, I don't know, in your Starbucks, the person wrote you your name in the wrong way. Is, yeah. is, is the person you're out with now making a joke about it and, you know, like being kind of lighthearted or does he make a scene? You know, like it tells you a lot about, yeah. about the character of a person. And my father yeah. actually taught me that way indirectly. When I worked, my very, very first internship as a teenager was in the company where my father was working. And he took me to lunch every other day and I observed him being extremely kind and nice to the service workers who, you know, like were taking his order and, and, and putting the food on his, on his plate and giving him the food. And he was, you know, like very charming, making compliments after eating, going back to the cooks and, and making a compliment about how tasteful the food today was and, you know, like, like small stuff and, and no one knew about it. He, he didn't tell anyone. He just did it so that, that the cook or the service worker, um, had a little bit of appreciation in his day because those people work long hours have not very fulfilling jobs, you know, like they just do very mm, repetitive tasks day in, day out, mm -hmm. and they live kind of behind, um, behind a curtain because mm -hmm. most people don't really pay attention to them, Yeah, but they, 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 they do their, they do what they need to do to keep their system running. Yeah. And my, my father learned very early on that everyone needs respect and everyone needs appreciation and it doesn't cost you anything to be, to be, to be a little bit nice. Yeah. I, I think this exceeds like niceness. The way, the way I think of it is kindness. Like you show kindness if you, if you are like respectful. I feel like nice, or to me at least, nice, I interpret this. That's like something you want to be. Like you want to be perceived as nice. You want to be a nice person. Mm -hmm. You want to be a nice guy. But uh, like the, the kindness is something like directed at the other. It's like a, it's a, it's a way of it's giving. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's a better and word for uh, being kind. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Kind. Um, I'm actually taking, uh, right now I'm taking a class that's called uh, Principles, Principled Entrepreneurial Decisions. Um, I just call it Principles. <laughs> but uh, it's very, it's, it's about basically understanding what actual principles companies have and how they're lived by like we have small cases that we read and then discuss and like discuss in a in a manner I have never 
experience discussion, like a room of 60 people and the lecturer is just like so great at extracting value from comments. Like the mm -hmm. kind of person when he feels like you are not, like whatever you say is not contributing fully to making the conversation better, will just cut you off and goes to the next person. But if you, every word that comes out of your mouth is contributing substance, he will let you talk forever and will go back to you um, even to, to hear your opinion on if some, someone challenges you. It's a, it's a really, it's a really crazy way because 60 people is a lot. And especially all those people in there, they didn't just sign up for the class. You have to apply for that class and then they hand select mm -hmm. you based on how you answer the questions. And then afterwards you, you discuss those cases of big companies, of very successful companies and the CEO or the COO or the CFO sits in that room and listens to those conversations where you take apart those company decisions and how they behaved and what might be their thinking behind it. And then in the end, they address the issue in the conversation or like address their opinion and point of view. And this week, even they didn't only have the CEO of, uh, well, yeah, they didn't only have to, <laughs> I actually don't want to say what the company is because then I can't speak about it as freely. Uh, they didn't only have the CEO of a company that they almost make a billion dollars now. Like they're huge. They've been around for 15, 20 years. Very, very strong innovators. And uh, then they didn't only, they have to, had the CEO speak. And then they had another person who used to be a product manager like six, seven years ago in that company who would then contrast what the CEO's perspective on those situation, on those early days and everything was. They would kind of get into a discussion, like a targeted discussion about how she from, as, a, as an employee perceived uh, those principles and values that were lived. Hmm. And uh, they're actually like, we started kind of like by defining our own values and principles or trying to, because it's a, I mean, you've apparently you've been through the process of defining organizational principles is a long process and it never ends. Like it's not supposed to be set in stone and then it's over. Like that's just it. Like they will be challenged. It will change. The organization changes, you change. So those things change as well. There was actually one person who, when they shared their personal values or, or principles it was uh don't be nice be kind and that really stuck with me and uh that's also like where I, like earlier when i mentioned um like the discussion i had um what was it about candid communication we i just come up came out of this discussion because we had a we have like groups where we have to work on like a fictional company that we completely define ourselves and then define like the frame, like how many employees are there, what kind of stage they're in, uh, what industry are they in, and then build around that values and principles. And uh, like, I don't know, there's going to happen a lot more in the next two months. 
But right now we are at this, okay, we have the mission statement, we have the vision statement. Today we defined the values. And uh, I guess then from there we're going to define more principles. But uh, it's, uh, well, actually now we're defining from the values, the principles. But actually it's, uh, it's, it's a super interesting process to, to go through it yourself, to go through it in a team, to analyze other companies. And like we, we not only have those uh, companies who are visiting, then afterwards we always discuss it and contrast it with other big players. And uh, there's just so much to gain from looking at those things because they are, in fact, the underlying factors of how we behave, what we do, how we feel, because it, it influences what we think is right and what we think is wrong. And that's so fascinating to me that this right now might not be the first time that I'm really thinking about it, but it's the first time that I'm sitting down in a structural manner and analyze it through and through. I'm really glad that I get to do that now in my mid-20s and not way down the line or maybe even ever. It's a very strong principle. Don't be nice, be kind. Because yeah. I think being nice can be a dysfunction of a team as well. If you're too nice, if then you don't say things that need to be said, or you you keep something to yourself, you maybe you are even fake to others just in the, in the sake of well, for the sake of being nice, you keep like a like a a fa like a like a mask on your face, right? You keep a smile on because it's a nice thing to do, um, but it's not the right thing to do. If you're truly kind, you want the best for your opposite, like for the person opposite of you. And then sometimes you need to say something that is not nice to hear, but it has the right consequences down the line. Yeah, that all plays into it. It's just, it's like kindness, it's such a big, such a big act and it plays into so many facets of our day-to-day -day life and interaction with humans. Like it really is still making me think kindness how and where am i showing it where am i not showing it where i could make a change i'm not sure if if you need to overthink it because it's not something that should be you know like strategic or so like if you see an opportunity then and and you feel it's the right moment to do it go ahead exactly um, but that's like, like you can only make those decision, like make this decision in the moment if it's something you, if if it's something you value, if it's something that is on your mind or in the back of your mind somewhere, right? Like if you're a person who, I don't know, maybe never experienced kindness or just doesn't value and recognize kindness as such or recognize it as something they could do as well, they could show as well. Uh, they just might not do it. And I think like what I'm trying to do right now is to think it through so I assign it the value 
it deserves, in my opinion, in my life, and then just try to live by it to that degree. How's it going for you? Do you make the progress that you wish to see? So it's less uh, checking a box and less uh, keeping tally of all the times it happens, but more uh, trying to be more aware of it. And I think it, it since since I heard it, which was one or two weeks ago, uh, um, my awareness was a little was a little stronger on it. And I think it has already had a, a positive impact. Actually, yesterday I read something that, that also resonated with me um, regarding the kindness. Like there, there's this post, I think actually I saw it on LinkedIn because of you, because you liked it from this one uh, influencer, like on his 32nd birthday, he asked a lot of 80 and 90 year olds what their mm, yeah, one thing that. is they would recommend. And one of those things was, or one recommendation of this list of what, 50 or so was, or maybe it was 32. I don't know. I didn't read it to the end. To be <laughs> honest, it was an overload. Uh, one of them was uh, do something nice or something kind every day. And never tell anyone about it. Yeah. Yeah. I and that was like, point. wow, this is so extreme. Like on so many levels, this is so, this is such a big thing because it, it is absolutely intentional that you do it because you think it's a good thing to do that. It's not just when the opportunity arises. It's not randomness. It's really seeking out an opportunity where you can do something good to someone else. And then by not telling anyone, you're training yourself, or at least that's how I understand it, you're training yourself to do things because you believe they're good and righteous to do and not because you want the recognition from anyone else. And so I'm, I'm still having like mixed feelings about that because it's so Me intentional, too. but it's, I see the value in it, especially from the side of often unconsciously, we do things because we want to hear a thank you or we do things because we want to talk about it then with someone else. And we want this validation and this recognition from someone. And by practicing doing things without telling anyone, uh, I think you, re you rewire your brain a little. You re rewire your rewards a little more to giving internal rewards, like just acknowledging and liking yourself a little more and less to getting recognition and rewards from the outside. And it's not black and white. So 
it's it's a good principle to keep in mind and to practice if you want to practice it if you want it to become a habit all power to you and i think you should not do it so that you can post it on instagram or to talk to your friends about it so that they can applause you that's not you know that that's the wrong approach but i also don't believe that you need to keep everything to yourself as a strict rule so because we we talked about this like 10 minutes ago right so many people don't do it and you even yourself said that you don't know all the easy the low-hanging fruits like all the easy opportunities to do something that's quite easy to do and has no costs associated with it but you don't even know like well, like in your in your long day all the the possibilities and opportunities you missed just because you had them not on top of your mind mm-hmm. and if everyone is doing it but never talking about it then it will stay as a silo with every person so I, I totally see the merit and not doing it for the appraisal, but I don't think you need to be too strict with never sharing anything about it. So I don't know. Um, if you do not tell someone because you want to be a plot, but you just get the opportunity to talk about being like, for example, like what we do right now, we talk about the importance of being kind and how it yeah. makes us feel. Um, and by doing so, we talk about sm- some examples of what we did, for example. It's not so that you think more highly of me or I think more highly of you. I f- already feel highly enough of you, Jürgen, that you don't need to do that. But um, it, it helps to talk about it and it helps to reflect. And um, yeah, so... I, I, I know why this LinkedIn guy wrote it the way he wrote it, but just keep in mind mm. all of these LinkedIn self-help gurus <laughs> try to be super reiserisch of Deutsch uh, yeah, uh, and in German, yeah. you know, like a little bit extreme yeah. and in, yeah. in the, the, their, yeah, and, and their usage of the superlative is in high demand. So Yes, yes. <laughs> Like, uh, I actually, after that post, I clicked follow on that guy. I'm pretty sure that I've followed it, re- unfollowed him for a couple of times already in the last couple of years. I don't. I totally understand I don't really you. Track. Yeah. And I also don't even remember the name. There are only like very, very few influencers, I want to say, whom I acknowledge as or take in as a whole person. And all the other ones, just sometimes I take away some nice posts. And it's mainly to overwrite. So that's actually something I I, I recognized recently, that how, like, if you want social media to be more positive, you just have to take it in your own hands. You're just going to follow a bunch of people who you actually enjoy the content you're seeing. And you have to be very, very strict in dropping everyone 
that in the end does not contribute to you either feeling better or becoming a better human. And let I want to say that the latter is actually much more important because the first one might end you up in a 100% echo chamber or bubble where you only have reinforcement, self-reinforcement. But uh, so whenever I have the feeling, okay, this is either just as you're saying, restating the same thing in a super extreme ways or there's nothing I can really take away from it because it's not applicable or it's just kind of wrong. I just drop them like a hot potato. <laughs> but, uh, like this way I actually get to keep my, like the, the limited amount of time. It's really not much time because I'm not much of a scroller. Uh, I spend on social media. I, I only get those things that I really want to take away from. And uh, right now I'm following him and I'm pretty sure in the next 10 posts he's going to gonna be a little annoying. <laughs> and I'll see you maybe the next couple of weeks. Um, but that one, that one was definitely good. That definitely made it on my save. Like I, I saved that post. Uh, I only read the first 10 or 12 ones because as I said, it was an overload. Yeah, it was I too long. could not take all of them in. It was it's just too much. Uh, but... Uh, a good a good post nevertheless how do you how do you perceive when you go on linkedin when you go on on instagram what's your relationship to it uh they are slightly different with each platform but all of them cost me more energy than they actually give me hmm. so i start to despise everything that has to do with news because as soon as you start to get your news from different sources you you start to see how how bad most journalists are and how much they try to influence your opinion on topics even in national news like even yeah. in on on sites like ORF in Austria like the national news if you read what they write in on, on, on for example, in their small versions of the posts in on, on Instagram, it's as, it's especially it's the worst on, on Instagram. But even the like the full text versions on, on their proper website are so badly written and lacking information and using wrong information actually. That where I'm starting to think, what is going on here? Like, who is writing these these uh, articles? Um, so, like, my my relationship with with news has deteriorated quite badly in the past months, weeks, months. Mm -hmm. With Instagram in a, a whole, I unfollowed like a week ago, or so everyone who I was not knowing personally enough uh -huh. to be interested in their personal life because I wanted to get rid of almost all the influences. I mean, I'm following like 10 or so still because I truly, mm -hmm. truly um, like their content. But everyone who was not, as you said, contributing to me, truly enjoying what I see or informing me about what's going on, Mm -hmm. I just unfollowed. So like, um, 
that that that's a thing. You've, and now it's quite boring actually because like <laughs> um, I see I see a lot of nature and a lot of cafes from the inside, mm -hmm. so stuff that people usually put into their stories. But I, it, it's like Instagram is slowly dying in our generation, as was Facebook like seven years ago yeah. or something. So it's like going down in, in how much and how people use it. People post less often, they, they share less, um, less about their personal lives. Yeah. They kind of switch to be real, I guess, because, but be real <laughs> again is like, you know, like it, it's it, first of all, it's just a trend. And second of all, you have no context whatsoever. Yeah. So you can't really use it to get to know a person. Yeah. Um, Snapchat is dead in our generation a long time ago. Facebook is dead as well. And Twitter is just a shithole, man. Like, and Instagram is, is as well. It, as, as soon as you start reading comments, you can really feel how, how these platforms bring out the worst in people. And I'm not sure if, if just the worst kind of people use the comment function or if the comment functionality is somehow triggering facets of ourselves that are deep inside of us and that we would never let out in our day-to-day -day lives, but we do let them out on social media by complaining a lot about, you know, like making other yeah. people bad about like um what are our examples in, in the I, comment I sections it. you yeah it's I, it's I, it's quite bad and it's bad for my mood it's bad for my energy it's bad yeah. for my intellect and it's just bad overall so I, sometimes i i <laughs> i witness myself going through some comments and i have to i have to remind myself to stop yeah. doing that because it has no worth whatsoever yeah no i i, I totally agree with that i want to say i used to think i used to be of the strong opinion that it brings out the worst in people like that's primarily why there's so much negativity on social media platforms but now i think it just attracts the people who want to say something bad or uh, this kind of sensationalism, this kind of behavior where you just, you get positive feedback or you get attention by saying something that is just extremely bad. And then you're getting celebrated by people who like your boldness or enjoy that you're just a hater. And uh, I think it's more those two things that it actually makes good people behave badly. I I mean, maybe to some degree, but I don't believe that to be true anymore. Um, but you give just haters so much platform to, well, behave badly in, in a sense, like to make other people feel bad. Uh, and uh, like, otherwise you, you would just never hear of those people, right? Like haters usually do not have a big social group. They're usually not very well accepted in interpersonal relations for an obvious reason. <laughs> they make you feel mm -hmm. bad. 
Like you don't keep yeah. them around. And usually, I mean, there's definitely also like a two-way relation. Like uh, maybe the reason why they're hating so much is because they have no one around. By, by, but by hating, they even lose the people around they, they already have and they're making it hard to make new connections. Um, so why not go on a platform and just throw it all out there? Let the world go up in flames. Do you write comments from time to time? Write or read? Write. So rare. It's so rare that I write a comment. When you write a comment, is it a positive one or a negative one? If it's about general content of a person I don't know personally, then only when it's negative. Like I would only <laughs> disagree. And it's the same with me. So I, <laughs> like if it's a good person, like it's if a person I know and it's a nice piece of content and I want to, you know, like make the, the person feel better by, you know, like appreciating what they posted uh, yeah. or make a contribution in the comments. But it, like if it's just something like a news, and it's good news that maybe I like it, but I will never comment on it. Yeah. And only yeah. on articles that are either simply wrong or badly written or misinformative, then I get this sense of, you know, like I can't stand it. And I need yeah. to tell them for what a shitty job they have done with this piece of article. Yeah. And then I write something. <laughs> and before I submit my comment, I'm like, like after like writing like seven minutes, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? And what the fuck am I doing with my life? And I delete uh, the whole comment and I move on with my life. But it's like, ah, oh, it's triggering something deep inside of me. Yes. Uh, it, there's very few topics where people can trigger me really hard. But actually last week I was in a situation like that and I just didn't have any time in my day to re react to that. Like I thought about it when I was on the bike, I thought about it through the next 48 hours a couple of times, like what I want to just throw out there to negate what that person is saying. Uh, but there was just such a big threshold to overcome to actually do that to take out time out of my day to actually do that that I didn't do it but I even talked about it with my girlfriend afterwards uh, where we were cooking like I think a day or two later because it, it like some guy made a, a comment about the education system just like a super blunt stupid comment in relation to the World Economic Forum which is also triggering me on, in a lot of ways <laughs> This, the, <laughs> the existence of that forum alone um, and what they're discussing. But uh, I was just like, ah. But in the end, I I didn't do it. So in, in that case, actually, I'm, I'm I'm still not sure if I, if I if I if that's a good thing because I feel like it it just content like that should get some counter not in the form of i'm going to be in the comment section and counter it but more in the form of 
opening up the same topic, but talking about it from a different perspective, from a positive perspective. Uh, mm. And just have, having this discussion um, myself with the, with the people around me or let's say on social media with the, the people that they're interact with me on my LinkedIn feed just to see what other people think. Uh, I feel like that would be a pro- productive, positive way of using things that trigger you, not reacting by commenting something negative or just disagreeing or trying to make a big case where you're right. But I don't know, putting your own thoughts out there as your own thoughts relating to a matter and then seeing what proactive discussion actually comes out of that. Because to be fair, like if you post, if you contradict someone in their post, especially if it's like a public figure that has an active following, you're probably just going to get insulted really early into the process because people are just very tribal in that. And they just oh, yeah. going to throw... They're just going to call you names. And like, to be honest, if you, like, you're not going to go back there if you have much self-love and much self-respect. Like, if it's not really necessary, why would you go back to a place where people are just super mean to you for no real reason? Uh, So I feel like taking that and opening up a discussion might be a good way if you want to have that discussion. I feel the same and I don't, I, I don't judge the people who are engaging in that because having a constructive debate about something is actually quite hard. It requires that you like read a lot, think a lot, yes. talk a lot and that you are open to being wrong and you know, like to having maybe the wrong facts in your head or like selective facts only. And it's not easy. And most people don't learn it because it's not part of our school education. Like maybe some, some people learn it at university, some of them, Mm -hmm. but most people don't. And it's, it's so much easier to just shout at people, especially if there are no consequences for it. You would never, ever say the stuff that you write in a comment to a stranger, to a person <laughs> that is standing in front of you, because you know very well, if you do that, you get punched in the face. Uh, yeah, or just like, even if you, if that's not a threat, like saying something mean in front like to a person is not a positive experience like you really have to have a very strong negative opinion about someone that that's true you're gonna go out that's of that also with a very good true feeling yeah and it, it never lasts like even if no. you have to say something really harsh to someone because this person like um, is deserving of it in a moment or you feel like it, the person deserves to have having these words like 
said into their face, it's it's not something that is it's not something that makes you feel good for a long time. So like it's no. you get off your chest, and more more often yeah. than not, you have broken something that's really hard to repair afterwards. Yeah. I think the 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 thing and that you makes break you something yourself as beginning, well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh I think that what makes you feel good at the beginning is like maybe righteousness. But yes. righteousness just doesn't bring you very far anywhere. Uh yeah, that's this is also something I I think about quite often. It's there is this weird connection between Whenever you do something to another person, you all you do something to yourself. Like whenever you treat someone else badly, you make yourself a bad person in a sense. Like maybe tends a bit to like uh, bad is a very loaded term, but. Uh, like you get this self-image. Like if you react with aggression, you get that self-image of, okay, I am an aggressive person. Like it becomes somewhat part of you and it's going to become part of obviously how other people be, perceive you, but also how you perceive yourself, which will influence your further actions and thoughts. And that is very scary. Like even if you've been completely triggered or like manipulated to react in a certain way, if you act on something, like you are recording that, like you perceive it yourself and you then perceive yourself more in that manner like you're adding points every day to different attributes and different virtues of yourself and i believe our consciousness keeps tally Track. keeps the score keeps yeah yeah i feel so too um whenever i see someone who is truly in need for help and i decide against helping like a stranger on the street because i tell myself I don't have time for this now, I get this negative feeling in my stomach and it lasts for about five to say it seven seconds until I've done a few steps and I moved on from this spot. But it doesn't feel good. It's, it doesn't, it's not something that has no effect on me. It has an effect on me and it's never good. It's like, it's like paying a very small price for doing the wrong thing in this moment. And it's not something that, that, that comes back at me, right? It's not like, like immediate karma or something, but I think, I think there is something to it. Why, for example, Stoics or like um, um, the, the, re the religion of Buddhism is so powerful with so many people because if you practice it, 
daily, it changes your view on the world. And even if something shit is happening to you, you don't, you are not as self-concerned. Like if you just keep track on what's making you feel good and, and your desires and your needs and something is, something bad is happening to you, you also automatically start to think, why is this happening to me? Why have I, how have I deserved this? So, um, um, a friend of mine, um, I will not say who, just to protect the, the privacy. Whenever something bad happened, this person tended to say, why is this happening to me? Like, what have I done? It's always me, blah, 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 blah. And like, if you have this kind of mindset, if you live in such a worldview, then obviously everything is against you. But yeah. you, 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 you forget to keep the bigger picture that shit is happening to all of us and it's happening all the time. Like having, having a really good life with no pain, with no, not with nothing getting into your way is actually quite rare for most people on this planet. And if you do not neglect all the people around you that could help, need a help or could need a hand, here and there and you and you get out of your day to experience half a minute of the life of another person you kind of forget that maybe you are quite privileged despite having some bad luck with a broken down washing machine at your home or or a file that you deleted uh, um without saving a copy, right? Like yeah. this shit happens, but there is so much more stuff out there that could, that could be in your life that you are quite lucky not to experience. Hmm. So it, it reminds me so strongly of the law of attraction like for a different reason i don't think that's it's a it's a perfect uh, like i don't think right now we have talked about the law of attraction but i think it plays into it because it's just gonna it, it is a way of um of reinforcing like when you think negatively you will not only perceive all the negative things that much more predominant, but also attract more negative things happening to you and the opposite way. Definitely. Um, Definitely. When, when I start my day on the right, on the, on the wrong foot, uh, figure of speech <laughs> and like so many things can go wrong and they will go wrong if if you perceive only negativity and everything is going wrong in your day, then you can be sure as hell that there are a hundred more things coming your way already. <laughs> but if you keep, if you keep your composure and you keep your cool and you, you know, like take, take a deep breath and everything is okay, then it doesn't really matter in the bigger picture anymore. Yeah. Hmm. That was a really good deep conversation, man. <laughs>
<laughs> it's uh it's it's really it's really surprising like i actually jotted down quite a few things i would have liked to ask you about spread and uh so many other things that we mentioned along the line and didn't dive in but i think that are all stories for another time <laughs> ah, always a pleasure we will, we will make time Another yeah. day. Yeah. I'm already looking forward to that. Man. Thanks a lot. I really Thank enjoyed you for that. Me. And uh well, see you soon. Bye everybody. Bye.